Chapter twenty five of Beverly of Graustark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda McDaniel. Beverly of Graustark by George Barr McCutcheon. Chapter twenty five The Valor of the South. Hold the lantern higher, Bev. In the fury of the fight, he remembered the risk and importance of not mentioning her name, and stopped short. He was fighting fast but warily, for he realized that his present adversary was no mean one. As the swords played back and forth in fierce thrusts and parries, he spoke reassuringly to Beverly. "'Don't be frightened. As soon as I finish with this fellow, we will go on. Ah, bravo! Well parried, my man!' How the deuce could such a swordsman as you become a cutthroat of Marlanx? Beverly had been standing still all this time holding the light high above her head, according to her lover's orders, for she knew now that such he was and that she loved him with all her heart. She was a weird picture standing there as she watched Baldos fighting for their lives, her beautiful face death-like in its pallor. Not a cry escaped her lips as the sword-blade swished and clashed. She could hear the deep breathing of the combatants in that tomb-like passage. Suddenly she started and listened keenly. From behind her, back there in the darkness, hurried footsteps were unmistakably approaching. What she had heard then was not the scurrying of a rat. Someone was following them. A terrible anguish seized her. Louder and nearer came the heavy steps. "'Oh, my God, Baldos!' she screamed in terror. "'Another is coming!' "'Have no fear, dear one,' he sung out gaily. His voice was infinitely more cheerful than he felt, for he realized only too well the desperate situation. He was penned in and forced to meet an attack from front and rear. He fell upon his assailant with redoubled fury, aiming to finish him before the newcomer could give aid.' From out of the gloom came a fiendish laugh. Instantly the dark figure of a man appeared, his face completely hidden by a broad slouch hat and the long cloak which enveloped him. A sardonic voice hissed, Trapped at last! My lady and her lover thought to escape, did they? The voice was unfamiliar, but the atmosphere seemed charged with Marlanx. Kill him, Zem! he shouted. Don't let him escape you. I will take care of the little witch. Never fear! He clutched at the girl and tried to draw her to him. "'Marlanx, by all the gods!' cried Baldos in despair. He had wounded his man several times, though not seriously. He dared not turn to Beverly's aid. The scene was thrilling, gruesome. Within this narrow, dimly lighted underground passage, with its musty walls sweating with dampness and thick with the tangled meshes of the spider's web, a brave girl and her lover struggled and fought back to back. To her dismay, Beverly saw the point of a sword at her throat. "'Out of the way, girl!' the man in the cloak snarled, furious at her resistance. "'You die as well as your lover unless you surrender. He cannot escape me.' "'And if I refuse?' cried the girl, trying desperately to gain time. "'I will drive my blade through your heart and tell the world it was the deed of your lover.' Baldos groaned. His adversary, encouraged by the change in the situation, pressed him sorely. "'Don't you dare to touch me, Count Marlanx. I know you,' she hissed. "'I know what you would do with me. It is not for Graustark that you seek his life.' The sword came nearer. The words died in her throat. She grew faint. Terror paralyzed her. Suddenly her heart gave a great thump of joy. 
The resourcefulness of the trapped was surging to her relief. The valor of the South leapt into life. The exhilaration of conflict beat down all her fears. "'Take away that sword, then, please,' she cried, her voice trembling, but not with terror now. It was exultation. "'Will you promise to spare his life? Will you swear to let him go if I—' "'No, no, never! God forbid!' implored Baldos. "'Ha, ha!' chuckled the man in the cloak. "'Spare his life! Oh, yes, after my master has reveled in your charms. How do you like that, my handsome goat-hunter?' "'You infernal scoundrel! I'll settle you yet!' Baldos fairly fumed with rage. Gathering himself together for a final effort, he rushed madly on his rapidly weakening antagonist. Baldos, she cried hopelessly and in a tone of resignation, I must do it. It is the only way. The man in the cloak, as well as Baldos, was deceived by the girl's cry. He immediately lowered his sword. The lantern dropped from Beverly's hands and clattered to the floor. At the same instant she drew from her pocket her revolver, which she had placed there before leaving the castle, and fired point-blank at him. The report sounded like a thunderclap in their ears. It was followed quickly by a sharp cry and imprecation from the lips of her persecutor, who fell, striking his head with a terrible force on the stones. Simultaneously there was a groan and the noise of a limp body slipping to the ground, and Baldos, victor at last, turned in fear and trembling to find Beverly standing unhurt, staring at the black mass at her feet. "'Thank God you are safe!' Grasping her hand, he led her out of the darkness into the moonlight. Not a word was spoken as they ran swiftly on until they reached a little clump of trees, not far from one of the gates. Here Baldos gently released her hand. She was panting for breath, but he realized she must not be allowed to risk a moment's delay. She must pass the sentry at once. "'Have you the watchword?' he eagerly asked. "'Watchword?' she repeated feebly. Yes, the countersign for the night. It is Ganlook. Keep your face well covered with your hood. Advance boldly to the gates and give the word. There will be no trouble. The guard is used to pleasure-seekers returning at all hours of night. Is he dead? she asked timorously, returning to the scene of horror. Only wounded, I think, as are the other men, though they all deserve death. He went with her as close to the gate as he thought safe. Taking her hand, he kissed it fervently. Goodbye. It won't be for long, and disappeared. She stood still and lifeless, staring after him, for ages, it seemed. He was gone. Gone forever, no doubt. Her eyes grew wilder and wilder with the pity of it all. Pride fled incontinently. She longed to call him back. Then it occurred to her that he was hurrying off to that other woman— no, he said he would return. She must be brave, true to herself, whatever happened. She marched boldly up to the gate, gave the countersign, and passed through, not heeding the curious glances cast upon her by the sentry, turned into the castle, up the grand staircase, and fled to the princess's bedchamber. Beverly, trembling and sobbing, threw herself in the arms of the princess. Incoherently she related all that had happened, then swooned. After she had been restored, the promise of Yetive to protect her, whatever happened, comforted her somewhat. "'It must have been Marlanx,' moaned Beverly. "'Who else could it have been?' replied the princess, who was visibly excited. Summoning all her courage, she went on. 
First, we must find out if he is badly hurt. We'll trust to luck. Cheer up. She touched a bell. There came a knock at the door. A guard was told to enter. Ellos, she exclaimed, did you hear a shot fired a short time ago? I thought I did, your highness, but was not sure. Baldos the guard was escaping by the secret passage, continued the princess, a wonderful inspiration coming to her rescue. He passed through the chapel. Miss Calhoun was there. Alone and single-handed, she tried to prevent him. It was her duty. He refused to obey her command to stop, and she followed him into the tunnel and fired at him. I'm afraid you are too late to capture him, but you may— Oh, Beverly, how plucky you were to follow him. Go quickly, Ellos. Search the tunnel and report at once. As the guard saluted with wonder, admiration, and unbelief, he saw the two conspirators locked in each other's arms. Presently he returned and reported that the guards could find no trace of anyone in the tunnel, but that they found blood on the floor near the exit and that the door was wide open. The two girls looked at each other in amazement. They were dumbfounded, but a great relief was glowing in their eyes. Ellos inquired the princess, considerably less agitated. Does anyone else know of this? No, your highness. There was no one on guard but Max, Baldos, and myself. Well, for the present, no one else must know of his flight. Do you understand? Not a word to anyone. I myself will explain when the proper time comes. You and Max have been very careless, but I suppose you should not be punished. He has tricked us all. Send Max to me at once. Yes, your highness, said Ellos, and he went away with his head swimming. Max, the other guard, received like orders, and then the two young women sank limply upon a divan. Oh, how clever you are, Yetive, came the American girl. But what next? We may expect to hear something disagreeable from Count Marlanx, my dear, murmured the perplexed but confident princess. But I think we have the game in our own hands, as you would say in America. End of chapter 25 Recording by Linda McDaniel, Atlanta, Georgia, April 2009